Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the National Security Podcast, brought to you by the ANU National Security College, with support from PolicyForum.net. In this episode, Lisa Singh, CEO of the Australia India Institute, and Dr. David Brewster, Senior Fellow here at the College, join Will Stoltz to discuss the challenges and opportunities for greater cooperation with India on international security issues. Before we get into it, we'd like to acknowledge the Ngunnawal people, traditional owners of the land from which we broadcast. We pay our respects to the Elders past, present and emerging. Well, David, Lisa, many thanks to you both for joining me today, particularly to you, Lisa, as I know you've just returned from DC and are battling a bit of uh, jet lag, but welcome to you both. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Will. So I'm hoping to have a a fairly wide-ranging discussion about India today, namely, I guess, the prospects of international security cooperation with India. So I guess it strikes me that, at least in the Australian community, we've had a real oscillation around the prospects of cooperation with India. So on, on the one hand, we've had um, you know all the enthusiasm around the potential of the the quad um, grouping, but on the other, we've seen, I suppose, in in India's um, limited reaction to to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, a little bit of sober refre- reflection on the prospects of um, cooperation. With India, so Lisa, I'd like to start with you. I mean, as a broad question to kick us off, what do you think we need to better understand about India's uh, national interests and and potentially India's values, so that our expectations of India can be perhaps more uh, well grounded? Well, look, that's a really good question, Will. I think that you know Australia sees itself as, uh, you know, a natural partner with India and yet still the relationship until, you know, perhaps the last decade has been fairly undercooked. But if you look at it, of course, we're two countries that are both part of the Commonwealth, um, you know, democracies, uh, support an international rules-based order. But if you sort of take our relationship now into the fact that we're both members of the Quad, it really does sort of elevate the both the, the relationship at that quad level, but also bilaterally. At the same time, though, India is still a country that, you know, it's within the quad, but unlike Japan and Australia, is not a formal uh, US ally. So it, it still does sit differently in terms of its, you know, um, in positioning in the quad. And also in, in the fact that India for a long time has been a, a country that has, you know, maintained a position of, one would say, non-alignment. Uh, now, of course, it very much under Minister Jay Shankar talks about, you know, this this multipolar region and the fact that it, it embraces multi-alignment. Uh, I still think that there are, you know, some some ongoing lessons we need to learn from India in that, you know, it's 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 not necessarily always going to fall in line with with perhaps all the other quad. 
uh, members' positions. And I think Ukraine is obviously uh, an outlier and a, a really, really obvious example of that. Mm. David, what about you? What what insights do you think um, we need to have a, a better grasp of when it comes to understanding India's national interests? Yeah, look, I think the um, the evolution of the Australia-India relationship over the last few decades really reflects the fact that it's a for Australia, it's a unique relationship. We're trying to build a partnership, a security and defence and economic partnership with a country that isn't an ally and is unlikely um, to become an ally. So it challenges a lot of traditional Australian thinking about security and defence relationships. So we have to uh, change our brains, I suppose, about what the relationship entails. And I think uh, the Ukraine uh, issue is a, is a great example because it reflects the fact uh, I- India's uh, response and position uh, on Ukraine reflects the fact that it has un- its own unique relationships, including with uh, Russia and its own unique approach to the world. And the reality is we just have to get used to it and, mm-hmm. um, and, and work with that. And, in fact, I think the Australian uh, government uh, approach to India's position on Ukraine has been pretty mature and realistic about um, what we can and can't expect of India. Uh, so, Lisa, as as I mentioned um, at the beginning, you've obviously just returned from spending some time in Washington. So, I suppose what's what's your sense of how American officials uh, are looking at at the Quad and I, and I guess the wider relationship with India at the moment? And I suppose what's the kind of priority focus from them? Well, look, I think there was a you know an obvious disappointment that India didn't uh, you know vote with with the US on on you know the sanctions against Russia in terms of the UN Security Council resolution, uh, but of course India doesn't see it that way at all. I mean, India abstained on that resolution uh, by the US uh, and its allies on the Ukraine crisis, and for them they see that as quite a shift. Uh, however, that was not the view taken at the US, at the US sort of level and indeed the administration. Having said that, uh, it's certainly not an area that, where the US are going to rock the boat with India on. And I think that's clearly because they, they need India. They need India as a counterbalance uh, against China. But I think that they'll continue to have that dialogue with India, you know, in terms of how how sustainable is India's position with Russia going forward? Uh, we know that there's a, obviously a long history there in terms of India-Russia relations and also the fact that US-India relations, you know, a bit like Australia-India uh, relations, have ebbed and flowed over, over many a decade since the Cold War uh, so that, you know, perhaps now we recognise that the fact that they are very much part of the Quad and um, the US definitely want India to remain as part of that. Uh, I, I think you know, a bit of a reality check realised by the US is that, you know, India are not always going to be on the same page and, and the Ukraine crisis is definitely an example of that. Uh, at, the, at the US level, I think there was also, though, a lot of focus on AUKUS. Um, there was also a lot of focus on, obviously, the new Australian government and its approach in terms of these sorts of uh, new areas of 
dialogue, if we can call them that, that are, that are starting to occur with China. So, uh, you know, I think that there is definitely a watching brief going on at the US level in terms of that. Uh, we know that obviously, um, you know, th there's more talks that are going to take place by uh, Minister Wong with her Chinese counterpart. So th there's definitely a, a lot of focus at, at the US level on, on how this is all going to play out. Mm. And I suppose uh, turning to to um, Britain, another another country very important to um, uh, India and India's role in the world. Now, David, you've you've just co-authored a, a policy options paper for the National Security College, in in which it's argued that Australia and Britain should focus their cooperation with India um, on the Indian Ocean region in in particular. So, kind of, can you give us a bit of an insight into the core recommendations of that paper, but also the reasoning behind that particular uh, geographic focus? Yeah, look, I think um, this uh, is an interesting um, trilateral relationship between the three countries, Australia, UK and India. And uh, it's, there's, I think there's a lot of potential uh, uh, possibilities, options for cooperation, but the, uh, certainly the geographic area where the interests the three countries most intersect is the Indian Ocean. And in particular, the Bay of Bengal is an area where uh, I think the three countries can probably achieve the most in terms of concrete initiatives, in terms of working with the various uh, countries in the Bay of Bengal to strengthen um, their maritime security in particular, uh, but also um, uh, their infrastructure needs, uh, meeting their infrastructure needs. And that's, it's the Bay of Bengal region, the Northeast Indian Ocean is an area where, which is currently under a lot of stress. The countries there are seeing a lot of um, uh, competition among the major powers. And they're really calling out for other countries to come in and help them with um, their needs. And I think it's an, certainly an area where the where Australia, UK and India can probably achieve the most. Mm. Interesting. And, and I suppose on this topic of India's relations with Britain in particular, um, th there's appeared to be a kind of an enduring kind of delicacy from the UK in how it engages with India, I guess for a concern over the kind of perceived sensitivities relating to the historic colonial relationship. Uh, historical recollections of, of of this kind of British colonialism are they still a fairly potent factor uh, for for um, both Indian officials, but just gen generally Indian people um, in how they are perceived and respond uh, responding to the engagement with Britain? I mean, Lisa, what's kind of your sense about the the importance of that history in the relationship with Britain? Oh, it's it's very important. It's very significant still uh, in India. I was in India for a month in April, and it, it is still very significant that that colonial legacy um, of Britain. Um, and I think again, this is what brings Australia and India closer together. We both have that colonial history, but I think in the lead up to India's seventy fifth anniversary of independence uh, this August fifteenth, uh, we may see more of that play out uh, in terms of 
looking back on on that history and the fact that India is now, you know, the fastest growing economy in the world. It's it's certainly taking its security footprint very very seriously, and and that includes, of course, as David's mentioned, in the Indian Ocean, and wanting now to sort of look at that in a more progressive and contemporary form means, of course, new relationships, new partnerships with with its old colonial foe, Britain. Um, and, and that just and that extends beyond um, the, the sort of hard security uh, architecture as well. I mean, I think that what uh, Prime Minister Modi put forward at the recent COP26 meeting, uh, which is something he led, was really bringing, bringing partners of Britain and Australia on board to look at infrastructure for resilient island states, uh, both around the Indian Ocean and also in the Pacific Ocean, you know, looking at supporting those small island states to protect themselves from ca- catastrophic threats of rising sea levels of climate climate change. So, the relationship I think with Britain um, and and the, therefore trilaterally with Australia as well, uh, as as David's sort of gone into in terms of the maritime cooperation that can occur, can really extend to some of these these other sort of soft power areas as well. Yeah. Uh, look, Lisa, I, I, I agree with that. I think um, there certainly are sensitivities uh, about in the UK-India relationship coming from history, and but there's also at the same time, I, I think um, Britain is very keen on developing a, a new relationship, a contemporary relationship, which um, sort of I suppose transcends those his, that historical baggage. And in a lot of ways, they are looking, um, the UK government are looking to Australia and looking at how we have developed a, a, an excellent relationship with India over the last uh, 10 or 15 years. And, uh, you know, we'll try to replicate many of the features uh, of our relationship. We'll be right back. Around the world, democracies are in crisis. Leaders have become followers. Populists offer glib solutions to complex problems, and people search for answers. Block out the noise. Each week on Democracy Sausage, we go deeper to bring you insights from leading scholars, journalists and commentators to help you make sense of the world. I'm Mark Kenny from the Australian National University. Join me at the Democracy Sausage Hot Plate every Monday and Thursday. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Now, this is a bit of a tangential question, but, um, you know, we're recording this at the moment that the, the premiership of Boris Johnson has kind of disintegrated and come to an end. And, and what's interesting is that in the kind of gallery of potential successes, uh, at least two MPs of Indian descent. So, uh, Rishi Sunak and, and Priti uh, Patel. Um, now it's obviously kind of a point of wild speculation at this stage, but, um, but Lisa, I mean, do you think it would make a substantial difference to the UK-India relationship if the next British Prime Minister were of Indian or or otherwise South Asian heritage? Well, look, I think it would be significant at the diaspora level in Britain. Um, 
But, you know, I, I don't think so. I think that, you know, the, the India-UK relationship will continue to, to, to go stronger regardless of, of who is the next UK Prime Minister. I mean, personally, I think it would be, you know, quite, quite a coup and, and mm. an exciting moment, um, just as it was in the United States with the, um, you know, the Vice President in Kamala Harris and, and looking at her journey in her family's uh, journey as well. But uh, I think if we, if we look at the sort of security issues that we're discussing today in terms of um, maritime cooperation, you know, the, the, the needs of ensuring we do, you know, uphold an international rules-based order with a focus on the Indian Ocean security area, uh, I think, you know, they're the focus of, of both the Britain and, mm. and the India relationship, regardless of who's the next Prime Minister. Mm. So I guess getting back to the, the those kind of really important challenges that India is facing, I mean, um, something that, that I am thinking about a lot is on, on face value, there's a huge challenge for India in its reliance on um, Russian military equipment. I, I believe it's estimated that over 60% of India's equipment is Russian-derived, um, and it would therefore appear that India needs to kind of undertake an extensive kind of military modernization effort in order to potentially decouple itself from from Russia's um, military industry, I suppose, uh, David, perhaps for, for you, firstly, you know, is this as significant a challenge as it seems for India? And and I guess what does this mean in the long term for India's um, international security role? This dependence on Russian military equipment. Um, yeah, look, it's a, it's a it's a massive challenge for India, and they've found themselves. Uh, in a, quite a difficult position in terms of their reliance both on Russian and Ukrainian um, uh, sourced weapons um, because, uh, you know, if nothing else, they're aware that uh, both Russia and Ukraine will be uh, very much focused on supplying themselves over um, any international partners at all. Um, but uh, for India, the big challenge is that moving away from um, an over-reliance on uh, Russian source weapons will be, uh, will take decades um, because uh, it will take that long for new weapon systems to work their way through, through the system. And so what they're trying to do is to uh, uh, give greater focus to Indigenous weapons production, something that they've always aspired to, um, with um, the uh, assistance from um, countries like uh, the US and European countries and also uh, countries like uh, Israel. So it's going to be a massive but also very long-term process for India to change um its uh, sources of, uh, of, of uh, arms. Mm. But David, I'd just add to that. I mean, uh, it's true, but at the same time, I think we need to recognise India has been trying for some time now to diversify its um, military, you know, arsenal base. I mean, it, you know, France, obviously it's been um, purchasing um, military equipment from France. Um, when I was recently in the United States, uh, it was made clear that, you know, that there is sort of dialogue going on there about the purchase of, of military equipment from the US. But I think the other part of that is to recognise that a lot of this military equipment is incredibly expensive, uh, particularly the US, and it's obviously, you know, privately 
uh, held and uh, all the, the, the sort of defence technology that goes with that uh, is not necessarily going to be just opened up and made readily available to India either. So even if it wants to go down the path of further diversification and moving away from Russia, I think it's still going to face quite a number of uh, challenges, be it, you know, sort of financially or or even sort of just strategically in how it, how it acquires these new sorts of defence uh, weapons. And Lisa, is that that proximity to to Russia and that that relationship um, over of a military industry is that is that a check or or a constraining factor on India's response to Chinese aggression, or is that is that kind of overstated? Is is it more the fact, kind of what you're talking about before, that that India is seeking to distinguish itself with its own very much self conceived independent foreign policy that it might deal differently in its relationship with China? Yeah, I think definitely the latter. I think that, you know, um, India is very much trying to map out its own course. Uh, it, it, it's it's very much got a, a multi-alignment approach, though, to that. And that's where, whilst it's very much at the moment a part of the quad, it's not sort of a something that, that the rest of the quad um, member countries should necessarily see as a an ongoing given. Mm. Uh, you know, I think that relationship with India really needs to be nurtured. And and this is where, you know, the, the common denominator is clearly China, uh, whether it's the US-India relationship, the Australia-India relationship, it, it is definitely China. You know, India faces those border disputes still with China. But at the same time, I think we do need to look at the, the sort of changing dynamics in terms of what China is currently trying to do. And you know, trying to not only just open up a bit of dialogue with Australia, but also with India as well. And we're seeing that sort of play out at the G20 right now. Mm. I suppose zooming in a little bit closer to India's immediate neighbourhood, David, I guess, like, what are the kind of key security concerns occupying um, Indian officials, both, I guess, domestically, but but I suppose when it comes to its its immediate neighbours, both on its border and, and, um, and, and nearing its ocean territories? Yeah, so uh, India obviously uh, is located in a pretty difficult neighbourhood um, and, uh, you know, with two major, you know, potential advers- nuclear-armed adversaries on its border, both China and Pakistan. And, of course, China and Pakistan have, um, in effect, a de-, de facto alliance. So... Uh, that's obviously a major concern uh, for India on its uh, two of its land borders. Uh, but increasingly, we're seeing, of course, uh, China develop uh, relationships with countries elsewhere in South Asia and in the broader Indian Ocean region. So India is facing what it perceives as potential threats from essentially 360 um degrees, not only from its land borders, but also right across the maritime domain. And I think this is where, you know, Australia has similar concerns about stability in the Indian Ocean. And this is certainly an area where Australia and India and new partners like uh, uh, Britain, which is um, coming back into the Indo-Pacific, where all three countries uh, can cooperate in working to stabilise the uh, smaller countries uh, around India. Um, 
And when I say small, it includes countries, uh, uh, you know, uh, large countries, Bangladesh with a population of 160, 170 million people, but also many of the small uh, island states that dot the Indian Ocean. And all of them are looking for assistance um, from partners like uh, not only India, but also Australia and Britain in improving their um, security capabilities, particularly their maritime um, security capabilities. So that's it's an obvious area where the three countries can work together mm. to try and stabilise the region and take some of the pressure off uh, India. Mm. I, I mean, I think India has also always seen itself as a natural sort of Indian Ocean power, whereas Australia has sort of traditionally been placing more emphasis on the Pacific Ocean, but now obviously that's that's changed. Um, I think with with the UK, though, it's clearly a leading international player um, with a with a high capable navy, uh, and that makes you know absolute sense for why a trilateral like this should should sort of have some teeth and, and have a strong you know defence purpose uh, focus on the Indian Ocean. Um, I think it's, you know, the, the timing, of course, is, is right for this as well. And I think mm-hmm. if you look look at the fact that, um, you know, you've got the UK not included in, in the Quad, uh, you've got India not included in AUKUS, um, and yet, you know, potential with with all of these sorts of mini-laterals to, to sort of learn from, from each of them and expand, uh, you know, their flexibility in terms of the security architecture. Um, it makes a lot of sense that that these sorts of capabilities are shared amongst these three three countries um, in the Indian Ocean. Mm. And when, when we're thinking, I guess, about the long term prospects of that type of um, cooperation, I guess surely Indian domestic politics is going to be an enduring factor that um, you know other democratic partners are going to be watching quite closely. You know, there, there is that question of. of India's domestic politics and the potential for, um, you know, democratic backsliding as as major parties um, like the BJP and others kind of leverage, I guess, a combination of both um, kind of populist nationalism and and even perhaps uh, take advantage of sectarian divides that exist within Indian society. I mean, Lisa, I guess how how concerned should we be for the integrity of Indian democracy long term? And I guess related to this, you know. Um, to, to what extent does a less democratic India actually change its international behaviour in a meaningful way? Well, look, India is the biggest democracy in the world. I mean, it is incredibly diverse as a democracy as well. There are there are umpteen sorts of different political leanings, political parties throughout India, and you only need to look at the, the various states within India and the fact that there are all sorts of different uh, political parties in power in those differing states to see that play out. Um, very different to the Australian political landscape, mm. I have to say. Uh, and that and therein lies the diversity that that is India. And I think that diversity is not going to sort of change, you know, in the, in the short term at all, and hopefully not in the long term either. Having said that, those sorts of domestic challenges, you know, are something that India is going to have to address and take seriously. And I think it, you know, what we saw recently with um, the sort of commentary by two particular BJP advisers uh, showed that, uh, you know, that 
that the, that political party had overstepped the mark in terms of uh, you know how how it's sort of you know, articulating its its sort of differences w- w- domestically because there was a huge backlash from some 54 Muslim countries in the world to some of those comments and the the Indian government sort of you know report, responded quite quickly um, in step, stepping down those particular advisors so it is I think that is an example where uh, something at the domestic level has sort of had a had a had a more international reaction um, so it'll be interesting to see how how that sort of continues to play out but I think in terms of you know the, the Indian India's not up for an election for another, well, another year or two. Um, so there's a long way in terms of, of, of you know, what, what that that next sort of democratic footprint is going to look like. Um, but I think, you know, the, the Australia-India relationship at the moment is, is beyond, you know, just anything it has ever been in terms mm. of strength. And the fact that we've got a new Australian government that has already had its defence minister uh, go to India... Uh, and it's just, you know, already outlines the fact that Australia sees India as such an important strategic partner, uh, you know, in terms of addressing some of these challenges in the region. And, you know, I only see that going from strength to strength. Yeah, but I think I think we need to step back and uh, recognise the extraordinary achievement that uh, Indian democracy is, being able to pull together such an incredibly diverse uh, and huge country in within a democratic structure. Yes, of course, there's bumps along the road, as we are, are seeing currently in the United States. But the, it doesn't; those bumps along uh, the road, in terms of internal governance, doesn't uh, really change the fundamental interests that bring uh, Australia and India together. So we have to be careful to understand what those basic interests are and um, not get too distracted by, um, you know, issues of internal governance. Mm. And, Lisa, you mentioned the um, uh, De- Defence Minister and Deputy Prime Minister Richard Miles, his, his recent visit to India. Um, do we know much about the, the kind of substantive outcomes of that meeting or, or was it, like, largely an introductory meeting laying the groundwork for, for deeper relationships uh, personally for him? Well, look, this was a, a, a ministerial dialogue between the two defence ministers that was separate to the two plus two ministerial dialogue, which is, you know, a sort of a requirement under the comprehensive strategic partnership that we have now as two countries. So this was an addition, which I think, again, just 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 out articulates so much about this new Australian government and its approach to the Indo-Pacific and, and particularly to India. I think what came out of it is is the agreement to expand military engagement, intelligence sharing. So it, it was definitely um, significant. And I think you know the the fact that we saw India um, deploying its P eight maritime surveillance plane to Darwin uh, earlier in this year as well, and then Australia sending its own P eight to India uh, earlier as well um, uh, last month. I think shows that that military engagement and and cooperation that, that has gone on. But uh, you know, I the readout that I got from Minister Miles's trip to India, uh, visit to India, in meeting his 
uh, defence counterpart was incredibly positive, really good signs in terms of the, the forward trajectory of, of the bilateral relationship where both countries can, you know, strengthen their defence cooperation, be it at the Navy, uh, naval level or, or otherwise. Yeah, and I, look, I think we also have to put the Miles visit in the context of the fact that there is a degree of scepticism within the Indian system about um, the Labor Party and Labor governments in Australia. And uh, that scepticism stems from a couple of decisions uh, made by Prime Minister Rudd when he was uh, elected in 2007 uh, involving the Quad and involving supply or of um, uranium um, to India. And so that has caused within the Indian system, um, as I said, scepticism about um, the, La the Labor Party and the degree to which Labor governments would commit to the India relationship. And I think um, the fact that Miles um, visited India so early um, in um, the term of the Labor government was a great gesture, I think, an important gesture um, towards India to tell them that the, uh, the uh, Labor government in Australia is just as committed to uh, India as the former government. Mm. Well, thank you both for your um, insights uh, today. Um, you know, you've both got a remarkable um, range of expertise and, and a grasp of the, the complex issues that are going on. So I'm sure our audience has found this um, a very insightful discussion. And, and obviously, they can go and look at your new policy options paper, David, which has been published by the National Security College, which really dives into some of the prospects for trilateral cooperation there that hopefully the new government are paying close attention to that one as well. So so thank you both for making time um, and hope to have you again uh, for another discussion in the future. Thanks very much, Will. Thank you, Will. Thank you, Will.